All set for your flight? Yep, I've got everything I need. Eye mask, neck pillow, T-Mobile, headphones. Wait, T-Mobile? You bet. Free in-flight Wi-Fi. 15% off all Hilton brands. I never go anywhere without T-Mobile. Same goes from a water bottle, chewing gum, nail clippers, okay, passport. Okay, I'm gonna leave you to it. Find out how you can experience travel better at T-Mobile.com slash travel. Qualifying plan required. Wi-Fi were available on select U.S. airlines. Deposit and Hilton Honors membership required for 15% discount. Terms and conditions apply. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it, wow. out. I it was that tall. golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true, personal stories about science. I'm your host, Aaron Barker, and this week's episode is about passing tests. Each of our storytellers is trying to get through two very different but very important tests that could affect the course of the rest of their lives. Our first story is from Angel Yao. It was recorded at one of our live stream shows in December at The Tank here in New York City. The theme that night was belonging. Um, I'm Angel, and when I was 14, it was the first time I went to the doctors on my own. Uh, it was a clinic in Flushing, Queens, and Flushing is actually really far from my home, but it's the closest thing to Hong Kong um, that's not Chinatown from my parents, uh, so we go to Flushing. And, you know, I go to doctors all the time with my parents, and I could do it on my own. Like this time I'm a grown up. I'm writing my own name. Um, I'm filling out these papers. Uh, I have to fill out SS number. Um, I'm just going to put zero and move on. And then there was another paper that I wasn't familiar with. And I was like, is this a depression test? I was really excited um, because I, you know, I love tests. Um, so. I looked at it, and the first question was, are you unable to sleep at night? Always, sometimes, never. And last night, I wasn't able to sleep because I kept thinking, what if I grew up to be a murderer? And then I just kept thinking that, just wide-eyed, and then I started biting my nails. And I know, like, biting your nails is wrong, but I keep doing it, and I just felt guilty, and I knew I had to wake up early in the morning, and I, like, the whole night, I was just like, go to sleep, go to sleep, don't bite your nails, but I kept doing, so, unable to sleep, always. Are you never proud of your schoolwork? Always. I could shade that apple better. Um, do you question everything? Do I question everything? Yes. Oh, always. Are you tired all the time? Always. Are you nervous all the time? Always. Are you anxious all the time? Always, always, always. Are you doing this right? I, I felt like I was doing this wrong because I'm putting always in everything. Um, but deep down inside, I knew I wanted an adult person that's not my parents to kind of tell me what is wrong and maybe help me fix it. Um, so then the doctor came and we did our regular checkup. And um, finally, at the end, he looked at the paper. He, like, grabbed it. And I was, like, excited. My heart was beating. And he just, like, looked at it and looked at me. 
And he was like, you don't have this, right? And just kind of dismissed it. He's like, everyone is stressed all the time. Everyone can't sleep. You don't have this. And I was just like, mm-hmm. And in my head, I was like, he's right, he's right. I don't have this. Why did I do that? Maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe, like, I needed attention. I don't know. Um, so right away, I was just like, he's right. And I said, this is normal. I'm normal. And I moved on. Um, and then as I was growing up, still sleepless nights. I still bite my nails. I, you know, I'm trying. I'm trying, but I can't. Um, and also in my mid-20s, a lot of my white friends were raving about their therapists. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Um, I was really open to it, but I just, I didn't have a job, I, you know, didn't have insurance, and it takes me so long to figure out the simplest things, like, uh, you know, what type of maxi pad to buy. Um, I would be like, okay, by the time I think extra long, extra absorbent wings, generic floral scent, my period would be over already. <laughs> so imagine me picking a therapist, <laughs> it's impossible. Um, so then um, I was like, I will do this on my own. I can make myself feel better. Um, so I did it on my own uh, for 10 more years until I was 30. And there was one day um, I was commuting to work. Yes, um, I got that nine to five job, snagged a job. Um, I was commuting to work and the subway just like halted. And it was one of those times where it stopped and people had to like physically leave the subway. And so in my head, I'm like, okay, do I wait for the next train to come or do I go to like the next stop, walk to the next stop? Should I just take a whole train all to get like new route altogether or a cab? Uh, maybe I should cab it, but it's so expensive. And maybe by the time I get the cab, the subway will be already there and then I would have wasted all this money. Um, so I got to work and no one was there, so I had that whole thing for nothing. And because no one was there, I just turned on my computer and Googled Asian women therapist queens. And only one name came up, Cherry Tan. I was like, oh, okay, that was very easy. I just had to do it. <laughs> um, so then Cherry Tan was my therapist. Um, and the first few sessions were fine. Um, I felt like I was just venting a lot and I made sure, you know, I had a list of everything I needed to say because $3 a minute, that's a lot and I have to make sure it was worth it. Um, and then a few more sessions in, Cherry was like, well, along with your anxiety that we, you know, diagnosed right away, of course, um, she said, I think you have OCD. And that surprised me because I was like, I don't like scrub my hands a million times. I don't count my steps. I'm not monk, you know. And I'm like, you know, I do have um, focus issues. Uh, maybe I have ADHD. I was kind of aiming for that because um, a lot of, you know, adult women have undiagnosed ADHD, um, like Paris Hilton and Solange Knowles. Um, and she was like, no, I, I think you have OCD. Like, well, let's go to a psychologist um, to get you assessed. So uh, we scheduled a psychologist appointment and more assessments, which I was like, you know, I love. Uh, but it wasn't as fun as I thought it would be. <laughs> um, There's just a lot of tests. 
Uh, there was like a memory test, a pattern test, and then a reading comprehension test. I felt like I was back in high school, you know, like SATs. I'm like, okay, do I read the pass? No, I don't have to read the passage. I can just keep the keyword. No, I have to read the question first and then look at the passage. Um, what if I don't know the answer? Should I leave it blank or should I just guess? Like, what is the correct thing to do? Um, and then I didn't finish the uh, test in time. But there was also a lot of self-assessment tests. And I was like, are you tired all the time? Yes. Uh, do you question everything? Yeah. Yes. I, yes, I do question everything. Um, do you, can you sleep at night? Well, last night I was worried that what if I got murdered by a 14-year-old? Um, so I'll, I was like, and then I just felt like I wish this was easier. I wish it was a BuzzFeed quiz. You know, I wish it was just like six pictures of breakfast foods, and then you just pick one. I'm like, corned beef hash, you have ADHD. You know, like, <laughs> that's what I thought. Um, there wasn't that. So then um, finished the test, and maybe a few months later, I got the results, it was like an 80-page PDF um, on my email. I opened it, and it just had summary of you know the test I took. And then um, it said there was some observations, and it said um, Angel Yao presented herself as a 33-year-old with slim build, and she looked younger than she is. And I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> Slimmer, younger. I was like, stop distracting me from the results. OK. Um, so I kept scrolling. And then um, finally, the diagnosis. And the first one is general anxiety disorder, which duh, you know, I have. Um, second one was um, specific learning disorder, reading impairment. Um, well. We'll save that for the next story. We'll unpack that later. Well, let's just ignore that. Um, and then third one, obsessive compulsive disorder. And it was there. And I finally felt like, okay, it's real. This is what I have. And that was kind of the first step to recognize that. And, you know, like, it's helping me to say, whenever I have a random memory of something that happened a long time ago and I'm replaying in my head and I feel like I did something wrong or I should have done it better or this person hates me, every, everyone hates me, and I have to kind of step back and think it's an obsessive thought, thought. and no one hates you, right? No one hates me. <laughs> um, and I am doing nothing wrong that there is no wrong, there's no wrong, there's no wrong, just two. And, you know, that is still hard for me to do now. Um, I'm still having trouble with that, but it's something I learned. Um, the, the, also, there was another diagnose, um, an, another observation on the um, diagnosis. It said, Angel benefited when prompted to persist. And I felt like that was the truest, um, because I do need that extra push to do something. Um, and every time I go to the doctors, I always think about that first doctor, Dr. Chang, and I always fantasizing about going back there and like slamming my 80-page PDF on his desk and being like, 
big mistake, huge. I do have something. I'm not normal. So, thank you. <laughs> was Angel Yao. Angel is a comedian, storyteller, actor, and filmmaker from Queens, New York. She started her comedy career unintentionally in high school when she ran for school council. From then on, she knew how to laugh at herself. She founded Asian American Film Thing and Shoes Off, Mouth Off. Both events showcase AAPI storytellers and creators. Both events showcase AAPI storytellers and creators. She is also proudly in the musical comedy group Asian Pop. Angel's festival-winning stop-motion animations are where she explores her childhood in comedic but heartfelt ways, dealing with solitude, rejection, and alienation. She was recently featured in a BBC short documentary on being a comedian dealing with mental health. Before we continue with today's episode, a few reminders. As the weather warms up, we'll be hosting a whole bunch of outdoor shows in cities like New York, D.C., St. Louis, L.A., Vancouver, and Toronto. We're also going to be returning to our regular stage at Caveat in New York, and we're starting to do shows at the Surgical Museum in Chicago, which is really exciting. You can find out more about all of that at storycliderorg shows. There's nothing like seeing stories told live on stage, and we'd love to see you all there. And speaking of stories told live on stage, don't forget that our big annual fundraiser, the Proton Prom, is coming up on June 1st. Don your science prom finery and join us at the Bell House in Brooklyn. Tickets are on sale now. Check out storycliderorg for more information. We are starting to announce our amazing lineup of storytellers this week. We're also continuing to offer online storytelling workshops for individuals as well as private groups. You can find out more at storycliderorg education. And finally, if you're a fan of this podcast, if you, like us, believe in the power these stories have to reveal the humanity behind science, to change our understanding of how science happens and who it belongs to, please consider donating to the Story Collider at storycliderorg donate. You can also sign up to support us on a monthly basis at patreon.com slash thestorycollider. Our Patreon supporters receive an ad-free version of this podcast, as well as occasional bonus episodes and other gifts. In fact, if you become a Patreon supporter this month, you can get a discounted ticket to the Proton Prom. And one more thing before we continue, we have merch for sale on our website. If you would like to buy a Story Collider hoodie, t-shirt, or tote bag, you can find those at storycollider.org store. Your purchases help to support Story Collider's work. We're so grateful to everyone who helps make our work possible. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our second story today is from Valerie Bentevania. It was recorded last February at our live stream show in Seattle. The theme that night was Revelations. I am a planner. I make a plan and I stick to it. When I was about 11, I made a plan for what I was going to do with my life. I gave myself three options just to be a little bit flexible, um, but I was going to be an inventor and invent something that could help people. I was either going to invent a time machine, um, something to solve climate change, that's how specific I was, or something to cure cancer. Those were my three options. So when I went to go study at university, I studied bioengineering, which was as close to inventing I can get, and did a master's and eventually went on to do a PhD. And I found a great PhD program that was right at the cross-section between physics and biology and engineering, using physics and engineering to solve a biological question, which was, how can we detect colorectal cancer? Check, according to plan. <laughs> um, and it was a pretty cool program. It was going to be in Scotland. Uh, it was funded for three years, so I made a plan. I was going to get my PhD and submit my work within those three years. I get started and hit all those usual milestones you do during a PhD. Your first successful experiment, then the machine breaks. <laughs> you find a paper just, that just has been published that is exactly about the thing that your work is supposed to be about, and then a new direction and that first significant p-value, all the ups and downs that were usual. My PhD was a little unusual, though, as well. I had two supervisors because it was interdisciplinary, one who was a biologist and one who was a physicist. And my biology supervisor, she was convinced that I didn't really know any biology. <laughs> and my physicist supervisor thought I was a biologist, and neither was quite true. Uh, and they didn't really know how to supervise me really well, very well, and they didn't know how to talk to each other. Turns out that if you're hyper-focused on one subject your whole career, kind of don't know how to talk to other people who are hyper-focused on something else. So I got really good at translating. I translated biology for my physics professor and the other way around. Um, and I really liked translating science, turns out. I even started a science blog so I could translate my science to the world and my mom. Yeah. <laughs> Two and a half years later, I'm still on schedule. I'm wrapping up my lab work, getting ready to write my PhD thesis. I tell my supervisors, start writing. They're like, cool, go ahead. Um, and I decide I want to write my thesis in a way that anyone who's going to pick it up will understand. Because I know my biology supervisor is going to read it, needs to understand the physics. And the committee members, who are also going to be from two different fields, need to understand. And I also want my mom to be able to read it. Yeah. So start writing, do all the things, and eventually I send a 
draft to my supervisors that's titled thesis underscore final dot pdf <laughs> probably like the fifth one that was named that but <laughs> and i get ready to move on and do my next thing in my life i book a flight home i give up my lease i send most of my stuff back to my parents house and i'm just waiting for the sign off for my supervisors that i can submit and there's nothing for me to think that that wouldn't happen, that things wouldn't go according to my plan to finish my PhD within three years, which in Scotland is not that abnormal. Three to four years is, uh, is typical. But I hadn't heard anything back yet on that latest draft. And they asked me to come into a meeting on a Friday afternoon and right before I was going to go on vacation for a week. So get a little bit worried and I go to that meeting and I, I'm in my supervisor's office, which has a lovely view over the city. And I know that on a shelf, there's bottles of champagne that have been finished because every time a paper is published in the group, one gets popped and there's a celebration. And on another shelf, there's the bound theses of all the PhD students that came before me. I don't see any of that because I'm just looking at my knees. I am looking at the piece of paper that I'm holding. It's a letter that my supervisors just gave me in which they say that they don't think my thesis is of the quality to submit for a PhD degree. And yeah, I, I know they're waiting for an answer. They're looking at me feels like they're looking down on me, which isn't fair because I'm like taller than them. <laughs> and we're all sitting, but I just feel so small. It's like they just told me that my science sucked and my writing sucked and I like doing both of those things. They give me three options. I can submit anyway without their, their blessing and that's usually not a great way to pass and get a degree. I could submit for a master's degree, or I could spend some more time and do more work for my, uh, for my thesis and stay a little longer. And I don't know, neither of those options sound great. I was going to go home. I had a flight booked. I wasn't going to stay in Scotland any longer. I was going to look for a job and start the next chapter of my life. I, yeah. Eventually, one of my supervisors, biology supervisor, she tells me, I, I know this is a hard decision. You don't have to answer right now. You can let us know later. And I haven't said a word for like a whole half hour. So I just nod and walk out and go cry where people can't see me. <laughs> the week after, I had a vacation planned. I had some friends come visit me in Scotland, and we were going to go hiking and drive around. And obviously, I had made all the plans and booked all the hostels and bought the whiskey. Um, and I don't know, that, that week kind of just... It's exactly what I needed. I think it was maybe the, the Scottish landscapes. They're so green, even though the sky is gray. The world is the greenest you've ever seen in Scotland. And it makes you understand why people there believe in fairies, because it's so magical. And there's like moss everywhere and ferns and Loch Ness with definitely Nessie in it. <laughs> And I almost imagine that at some point I, 
on a hike, ran into a bridge and there was little little boulders with moss on top of them like and frozen so they were definitely trolls and <laughs> there's a troll guarding the bridge asking me like you got to pay a toll or you have to answer riddle or you can't cross this is just me imagining <laughs> <laughs> and but the riddle was who am i so somewhere in the scottish highlands Knowing that there was a whiskey at the end of the day for me, probably important, I decided that I was going to be a doctor. I was going to do extra work and make sure that I got my PhD. So what if it took me longer than I had planned? Three years, eventually it was five years. Who cares? I was going to finish, contribute my science to the world, that little piece to help people to maybe someday cure cancer. That's what I did. Well, I did some extra work. I went back to the lab, uh, wrote my thesis for the second time, um, still in a way so that my committee members who are from different fields would know, like be able to pick it up and understand it. And eventually I come to the day of my defense, which uh, you have to do a public presentation and then go sit in the room with your committee members and talk about your science and answer your questions. And that part took five hours. I was in a room with two people for five hours just talking about my science. And while it was exhausting, it was exciting because they were asking amazing questions. It's like they read my thesis and understood it all. <laughs> and they were engaged and I was enthusiastic to talk about my science, something that I hadn't felt for a while, um, writing it a second time. And after those five hours, they eventually told me, uh, that I had passed, that I was a doctor. And I cried in front of them because who cares I was a doctor? Anyway, thank you. That was my story. <laughs> that was Valerie Ventavania. If you ask Valerie to describe herself in three words, she would say tall, nerdy, and clumsy. Not necessarily in that order. She has a PhD in life sciences from the University of Dundee and currently works as a science and medical writer at Cognition Studio in Seattle. She enjoys diving deep into the science, translating the complex into the engaging, and bringing in authenticity in the occasional bit of humor. The Story Collider is so grateful to Angel and Valerie for sharing their stories with us. The Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox. The Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by me, Erin Barker, Executive Director and Co-Founder of the Story Collider, with help from Managing Producer Misha Gajewski, Education Director Nissa Greenberg, and Senior Podcast Editor Jun Chen. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board and the rest of our staff, including Managing Director Anne-Marie Lonsdale, Science Advisory Fellow Edith Gonzalez, Operations Manager Lindsay Cooper, and Marketing Manager Nikisha Roberts-Washington, without whom none of this would be possible. The stories featured in today's episode were from shows produced by Christine Gentry and Zach Stovall, and by Emmy Okikawa and Kent Whipple, respectively. Our theme music is by Ghost. Next week, we'll be back with stories about near-death experiences. You won't want to miss that one. 
Until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.